This is a Hot Pie Media original. If I, if you could walk away with like one thing right now, it's like the number one way to improve your sleep at night is by the first thing that you do in the morning. You need to wake up, you need to go outside, and you need to get natural sunlight. Not only is that going to make you feel more alert during the day, it's going to help increase melatonin later in the night so you fall asleep easier, but it also will dramatically impact your mood and decrease your risk of depressive symptoms. Hi, I'm Eric Corum, and this is The Blueprint. I've spent my life helping Olympic gold medalists, NFL, and NCAA athletes be their best at their craft. Now I'm taking that experience and translating it into your life. This podcast is for busy professionals and household CEOs who care deeply about their family, career, and their health. There's an ocean of content to wade through, but I do the heavy lifting for you and distill cutting-edge science leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your lifestyle and goals. Today's episode is going to be just a little bit different than normal. I've had a lot of people ask about me doing a podcast about sleep because that's what my doctoral work was in. So today's going to serve as sort of a sleep masterclass. We're going to discuss what happens when we sleep, why we sleep, and how to create the conditions for consistently getting restful and fulfilling sleep. Today, you're going to walk away with plenty of tools that you can implement right now to level up your sleep. But before we get to our discussion on sleep, I want to let you in on something really cool that I'm building. If you love exercise, but you aren't sure exactly how hard or how long you should exercise each day, then you should check out my free app, AIM7. We have this cool feature where we provide you with a custom exercise recommendation based on your current state of adaptability, or simply put, how much exercise your body can adapt to that day. We do this by combining your wearable tech data with our decades of high-performance expertise. By following these recommendations, you'll be able to prevent burnout and experience the long-term improvements in your health and your fitness that you're looking for. The great thing is this is all layered on top of the exercise programs that you already love to do. So whether you love Peloton, Apple Fitness Plus, or your favorite HIIT program at your local gym, our recommendations work with what you enjoy doing. So if you have a wearable device like an Apple Watch, Whoop, or Aura Ring, then go to www.aim7.com. That's A-I-M-7.com to get early and free access to our exclusive program. AIM7 starts small and starts with you. Your health data, your values to get to your thriving life. So back in 2015, I decided to get a PhD and um, I was looking at what I should study. And I started thinking about, okay, if I'm going to study something, I want it to be something that that's really important. that's central to our lives. And so I started thinking about, okay, what are the things that you can't live without? You can't live without water. You can't live without food and you can't live without sleep. And so at the time, I was working at the University of Kentucky, working with uh, SEC football players, and those guys are consistently sleep-deprived. College students are always getting poor sleep, and uh, I wanted to understand the impact that sleep had on our brain and its ability to adapt to stress. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, Uh, but that's why I went down that rabbit hole. 
And so today we're going to talk about, you know, the role sleep plays in our life, how we sleep, you know, like the, what's called sleep architecture, why we sleep. And then I'm going to give you a lot of tools, but I want to start with this comment. Thomas Decker was an English dramatist and he said, sleep is the golden chain that ties our health and human bodies together. I don't think there could be a better statement about sleep. And that was written in the 1700s. Sleep is an essential biological process that is required for us to grow, adapt, and thrive. But it's still kind of this big mystery. There's a lot of things about it that we just don't understand yet. But today I'm going to try to give you some legitimate research. I'm actually going to read certain parts of my dissertation and kind of break it down for you. Um, because I want you to understand like really what's going on here and you know why there's some holes. And so from a behavioral context, sleep can be defined as a homeostatically regulated state of reduced movement and sensory responsiveness. That means like when you sleep, there's, there's, there's periods of sleep where you may roll around a little bit and there's actually periods of sleep where you're completely paralyzed. Um, and it's homostatically regulated. So it's kind of this state where your body's in a neutral state of stress, or it should be. Uh, it occurs in habitual intervals over a 24-hour period. And it's marked by, like I said, reduced motor activity. You have big fluctuations in your body temperature, hormonal activity, eye movement, muscle tone. And then your brain's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But like I said before, despite our understanding of the order and synchrony of sleep, our knowledge of the purpose and regulation is incomplete. And here's why. Uh, scientists have yet to be able to identify a single locus of control, which means like there are all sorts of crazy research studies out there where scientists will like lesion certain parts of the brains of animals and see like what happens or they'll poke a certain part of the brain and see the response. They have yet to be identi- uh, yet to identify an anatomical landmark that, when it's lesioned, can completely eliminate sleep, which is completely it's fascinating. So, sleep is kind of this broad, system-wide phenomenon with certain drivers. Okay, and one of those drivers is uh, our circadian clock. So, our bodies experience fluctuations in behavior and physiological processes across a 24-hour period in a very rhythmic pattern. These rhythms are generated by what's called circadian clocks. Um, They're the internal timekeeping machinery of our biological systems. And they're dependent on these cyclical environmental cues called zeitgebers, which is German for the word time givers. Light, temperature, and humidity can all alter or reset the timing or phase of these certain circadian rhythms. The primary zeitgiver or time giver is light. And in mammals, circadian rhythms are controlled by a structure in the anterior hypothalamus called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And the SCN it sits on top of the roof of the mouth. And light sends a signal to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which then sends a signal to every cell in the body that it's time to wake up. And here's how it does this. So um, the signal is temperature. So the SCN sends a signal to all the cells in your body to increase temperature. Okay. And then you have this big pulse or a big spike in a, a hormone called cortisol. Now, a lot, cortisol gets a bad rap. People call it the stress hormone. But 
you want a spike of cortisol in the morning because what it does is it increases your level of alertness and wakefulness. So when you see light, first thing, when you get exposed to light, you get this triggered reaction to the SCN, to all the cells in your body, get a big spike in cortisol. And then also what happens is um, a internal time countdown clock begins, which basically 12 to 16 hours later, your body wants to now increase melatonin. And melatonin is the sleepy hormone, which makes you want to go to sleep. So the first tool that I want you to walk away with is this. If the primary anchor of our circadian rhythm is light, before 9 a.m. in the morning, you want to go outside and get light exposure. Um, because what that will do is there's certain special cells in your eyes that will then take this signal to the SCN to begin this whole cascade of events. Okay. Um, it is, and you need to get natural light exposure outside. This is 50 times less effective looking through a window. So if you think about it, like we were designed to be outdoor, to live outdoors. In the past hundred plus years, we've been quote domesticated and now like with the advent of air conditioning, people want to stay inside. And so if you're inside all the time in these dark environments or, you know, you get up, maybe you drive to work and then you go right into an office or maybe you just stay inside for the office, you feel groggy and tired because your system has not been given the signal that it's time to be awake. So I recommend at least five to 10 minutes of sunlight in the morning. If it's really bright outside, you know, five minutes is a good place to start. Um, 10 minutes is better. If it's cloudy or overcast, you may have to be out there a little bit more. The key is you have to get this before 9 a.m. Because after 9 a.m., you're in what's called a circadian dead zone. You're kind of out of luck. Um, and so, you know, the sun comes up right now. We're before daylight savings. It's around 7.15. So I'll go outside. I'll get five seven minutes. I'll go work. I'll go back outside, get another 10 minutes. And I'm telling you, it makes a significant impact on your level of alertness. Um, in addition to 24-hour circadian rhythms, there's what are called ultradian rhythms, which are shorter than a day, but longer than an hour. Okay. And uh, sleep is broken down into 90 to 110-minute ultradian rhythms um, divided into phases of sleep known as REM and non-REM sleep. Okay. So you have these 24 hour circadian rhythms. You have shorter rhythms, which are called ultradian rhythms. Um, and so let's start with non-REM sleep. So every 90 to 110 minute cycle has non-REM and REM sleep. Um, earlier in sleep. So let's say you slept from 10 to six. Earlier in the night, you have what's called more pressure for non-REM sleep it means there's those 90 to 110 minute cycles are made up of more non-REM sleep. As the night goes on, it shifts and there's more and more REM sleep later in the night. So non-REM sleep is four substages that are that progress in numbers, so one through four. And the depth of sleep and the arousal thresholds increase as those numbers increase. So stage three and four are what are known as slow wave or deep sleep. Okay, because it's really hard to wake you up. Now, what happens during this phase is really important. This is when um, 
tissue repair, energy uh, conservation, and nervous system recuperation occurs. One of the things that happens during slow wave sleep is you get a secretion and growth hormone, which is an anabolic hormone released from the pituitary gland. And the biggest pulse or release in growth hormone is associated with your first slow wave sleep episode. And this is really important for if you exercise. This is when your tissues are going to regenerate. Um, total sleep deprivation drastically reduces growth hormone, uh, which can be very bad for training athletes or regularly exercising adults. So that's one of the cool things that happens during non-REM slow wave sleep. REM sleep, rapid eye movement, there's rapid bursts of eye movements and something called muscle atonia, which means the body is literally in a state of paralysis. Now, I'm going to read you a statement from um, Devine uh, in one of his papers. He said, during REM sleep, the brain is partially disconnected from the body due to a blocking of the cortical spinal pathways at the brainstem and motor activity is suppressed and all the muscles are in a state of total relaxation, which, around, which allows effective myofibrillar restoration, which means you're in a state of paralysis. And one of the reasons uh, scientists believe this happens is because now your tissues like literally don't have to be active and they, the tissues, the muscle tissues can relax and regenerate. Another reason this is a hypothesis for why we're in a state of paralysis during REM sleep is if you've gone, if you know, if you've ever had a crazy dream, like, I don't know, you were flying or something like if, could you imagine like if you weren't in a state of paralysis, if you were sleepwalking, like you could really injure yourself and so this is maybe like a way to like protect the body. But, um, you know, this is really, really important. And so you have REM sleep, you have non-REM sleep. A lot of cool stuff happens with memory and learning during that time. We'll talk a little bit about that. We may cover that in a separate episode. So what are like the health consequences of not getting consistent sleep? So we've talked about sleep architecture, what happens during sleep. You have these alternating periods of Ultradian rhythms of 90 to 110 minutes broken down by REM and non-REM sleep. Um, we know from the research that adults need about seven to nine hours of sleep a night. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. But what happens when you don't get enough sleep? Um, really cool study with twins. So whenever you see research with twins, what they're doing is they're trying to control for genetic factors because those twins um, are very similar demonstrated that habitual short sleep duration was linked to gene down regulation or how genes express themselves. So for instance, you had two twins. One twin was getting enough sleep. The other twin was getting habitually shorter durations of sleep. So let's say less than seven hours of sleep a night. Their gene expression was actually down regulated across numerous categories, including immunity, wound healing, cell adhesion, and leukocyte activation. So inflammatory and immune pathways were dramatically impacted. That's not good. Some of these pathways are associated with adverse immune responses related to negative metabolic, cardiovascular, and inflammatory pathways. So your genes literally downregulate when you don't get enough sleep. I mean, that's very, very powerful. Um, Cancer. This was very interesting. According to the American Association for Cancer Research, sleeping only three to five hours per night increases the risk of dying of prostate cancer by 55% for men under the age of 65. 
it's pretty almost it's almost guaranteed that men are going to get prostate cancer by the time they're you know in their 80s. But your increase, your risk of dying is increased by 55%. Short sleep durations are associated with increased risk of breast and colorectal cancer. And the World Health Organization has categorized shift work with circadian disruption as a carcinogen. So it's almost like if you're doing shift work and your circadian rhythms are getting uh, messed up, you're basically like smoking. That's like how bad that is. Um, something like type two diabetes. This one was interesting too. A meta-analysis, which is like you start looking at a bunch of papers, found a dose response relationship between sleep quantity and your risk of type two diabetes, which means that dose response is at a certain dose. Here's the response that's going to occur. The lowest risk for getting type two diabetes were for people that slept between seven to eight hours a night. And the list goes on and on, heart disease, mental health. And that's one of the things I want to discuss really quick is sleep and depression. There was a new paper published in May in the Journal of the American Medical Association's journal, Psychiatry. And it was conducted by researchers at the University of Colorado Boulder and the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. So you got some pretty legit uh, researchers here. Um, if you're interested in the name of the paper, it's genetically proxied diurnal preference, sleep timing, and the risk of major depressive disorder. They found that people who tend to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier have significantly lower risk of major depression. It's the strongest evidence yet that chronotype or a person's propensity to sleep at a certain time of day influences depression risk. Okay, so there are certain sleep chronotypes, people that are night owls or larks. Okay, larks are people that want to wake up in the morning. They feel most vibrant in the morning. And then there's some people that identify as a night owl. They do their best work. They're more alert in the evening. Uh, of this study, they studied 843 thousand people. That's a huge study. A third of them identified as morning larks, roughly 9% as night owls, and the rest were just kind of in the middle somewhere. Okay. They used data. They used a database of the DNA test company 23andMe and the biomedical database at the UK Biobank. So basically what they're doing is they're looking at your DNA. Okay. And then they were able to match that with, um, chronotypes. And then they had uh, 85,000 people who wore sleep trackers for seven days and 250,000 of them filled out sleep preference questionnaires. So the researchers then looked at the different sample, which included genetic information along with anonymized medical and prescription records. So they could say like, okay, they could look at people that were taking either prescribed medications for depression or they had diagnoses of depression and they're matching this all up with genetic information, sleep tracking data. So this is a huge study, very in-depth and I would say a very complete study. And using some very novel statistical methods, they asked the question, do these genetic variants, which predispose them to be early risers, also have lower odds of depression? And the answer was yes. Being a morning type or having a morning chronotype corresponded with a 23% lower likelihood of having major depressive disorder. 
And for every hour earlier that somebody went to sleep, they they roughly had a 20% reduction in the risk of major depressive symptoms. That's pretty phenomenal. We're going to take a break for just a moment to talk about how you can get exclusive content designed for high performers just like you. Every week, I send out a newsletter called Adaptation. In this newsletter, I provide you with information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance. I cover topics like sleep, stress, exercise, nutrition, and mental performance. You can sign up today for this free newsletter at www.ericcorum.com. Now, back to the show. Here is like, so the, so the, the obvious next question is why? And what the researchers came up with is what we talked about at the very beginning. The people that wake up early get more early morning sun exposure. What happens when you do that? There's a cascade of hormonal uh, impacts, hormonal events that impact and influence your mood. And so if if you could walk away with like one thing right now, it's like the number one way to improve your sleep at night is by the first thing that you do in the morning. You need to wake up. You need to go outside. And you need to get natural sunlight. Not only is that going to make you feel more alert during the day, it's going to help increase melatonin later in the night so you fall asleep easier, but it also will dramatically impact your mood and decrease your risk of depressive symptoms. I think that's pretty strong. Um, so what, you know, let's talk about like the three big roles of sleep. The first one we covered earlier, which was uh, tissue restoration. Okay, so that happens through growth hormone. It also happens when our bodies are in this state of paralysis during REM sleep, which is kind of freaky. Some people have actually woken up during REM sleep and momentarily experienced that state of paralysis. The second thing is um, there's a system in your brain made up of what's called paravascular pathways called the glymphatic system. You've probably heard of the lymphatic system which moves fluid through your body in a very passive way. So you may have metabolic waste products that leak out of your muscle tissues or certain other tissues into this space. And then as you move your body, the lymphatic system kind of pumps this fluid into different parts of your body. Well, they found this glymphatic system in your brain. And literally what happens at night is your brain is flushing out metabolic waste products some of which are associated with things like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Uh, there are certain proteins called amyloid beta plaques. And so it's critical that you're consistently getting restful and fulfilling sleep and the appropriate quantity of sleep so that your brain can do its job of flushing out these metabolic waste products. The third thing is, so we have tissue restoration. We have... Uh, glymphatic drainage, your brain's like literally detoxifying itself. And the third is learning and memory consolidation. And there's a lot of research to support what's called sleep-dependent plasticity and memory processing. So during the day, let's say you want to learn a very difficult text, like you're studying for something or you want to learn a new skill. Um, The pathway to learning is through like in an acute setting is through frustration. Okay. You've ever like tried to sit down and learn something new and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Like right now my nine-year-old consistently brings me his math homework and sometimes I'm having to brush up and that's frustrating. But when you sit down, it's like you're focusing on this thing and 
your focus and attention is narrowed in and you feel this sort of agitation and anxiety, that's good. That's because um, you're getting an adrenaline dump, which helps bring your focus to kind of like a spotlight, which is what you want. And there are certain neuromodulators that are released in the brain that go mark the neurons in your brain that were used during that session of learning so that when you sleep, your brain can experience plasticity or the brain's ability to respond and change as a result of experience. Um, And there was this, this group of scientists, Tononi and Sorelli, that came up with what's called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis. And this thing has been proven to be true. And they say that sleep is the price the brain pays for plasticity. And what they found is that the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis proposes that the fundamental function of sleep is the restoration of what's called synaptic homeostasis, which is the challenged, which is challenged by synaptic strengthening triggered by learning during wake and synaptogenesis during development. So what happens when you're sleeping at night is those pathways or those neurons that you use during the day are actually strengthened and they actually kind of grow a little bit. Um, And then other parts of your brain, those things are actually weakened or they shrink. And so your brain is actually kind of going to this dance when you sleep at night of expanding and shrinking. And this was um, demonstrated by DeVivo in a really cool study where they actually use three-dimensional electron microscopy to reveal like certain areas of the, of the brain that are actually go undergoing these, um, these changes. Pretty fascinating uh, article. So we have tissue regeneration. We have detoxification of the brain. And then we have learning and memory consolidation. Okay, those are the three things that are happening. Okay, the three big, big things. There's other stuff that's happening. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff that we probably don't even know about. We know that there's increases in hormones like testosterone, but those are kind of like the three huge big buckets. So we talked about this before. How long should you sleep? Adults should get seven to nine hours of sleep. And if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, Eric, I'm the person that can get five hours of sleep a night. I'm going to say that most likely you're wrong because uh, that genetic polymorphism or that mutation only exists in a fraction of a percent of people in society. Um, And so you're most likely need more sleep. Um, Here's the thing too. We consistently overestimate research shows that we overestimate how much we sleep. So if you think that you're getting seven hours a night, you're probably getting six and a half because it takes a certain amount of time to actually fall asleep. So when you're setting up your sleep schedule, you need to factor in about 30 extra minutes. Now I want to talk about something called sleep hygiene, which is how do you create the conditions for great sleep? Uh, If you've ever been to a dentist, the dentist is like, hey, you need to brush your teeth. You need to use mouthwash. You need to floss. Why? It's the ingredients for good oral hygiene. Well, there's certain things you need to be doing to put yourself in a position to sleep well at night. Um, and I, the first one is is creating the right environment. You want your room to be cold, dark, and quiet. Okay. Um, cold, because when you go to sleep, 
your body's temperature naturally decreases. Anything you can do to help usher your body into a lower body temperature faster is going to help with that. Um, I recommend that the temperature in your bedroom be less than 69 degrees. Um, there's new mattresses out there like eight sleep, which help do this for you. They like, cause maybe your partner, whoever's sleeping in bed with you, uh, maybe they like to have a different temperature. You can actually regulate the temperature of your bed differently. There's things like oolers and you can put these mats on top of the bed to help you cool your body down. Those are pretty effective. Warm showers and baths. Okay. Actually help decrease uh, your body temperature, which is kind of weird. You think I'm taking a hot shower. How is my body temperature going to cool? What well, has to do with like the cooling of your skin? But a recent meta-analysis of 17 papers showed that taking an evening shower or bath in water around 104 to 108 degrees Fahrenheit improves sleep quality. Uh, they also show, uh, There's another paper that showed that showers or baths one to two hours before bed help people fall asleep faster. And in another study of older adults, they found that warm showers or baths prior to bed actually lowered their blood pressure. So cold, you want your room cold, dark. We talked about earlier, light is the primary time giver. So if you use light to wake up in the morning, you should probably be avoiding light at night. Okay. So you want to make your room as dark as possible. Blackout curtains. Um, if you're in a hotel, you know, roll up a towel, put it next to the door. You don't want any light. Take your cell phone, turn it over, put it across the room. Zero light. And then you want it quiet or you want a consistent level of noise. So like, let's say you live because any type of spikes in noise are going to wake you up. So let's say you live in like a um, major metropolitan area like New York City or Chicago or something. Um, oh, noisemaker may be a good, like a white noisemaker. I use our children's noisemaker. They, they, they're getting older. So we've confiscated one of those and it helps me sleep at night. So cold, dark, and quiet. Um, one of the things regarding evening light exposure, I think it's very interesting, is that habitual evening light exposure, especially between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. So if you're one of those late night social media, you know, stuck on there scrolling through Instagram, or you're watching Netflix, late night exposure between the hours of 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. activates a structure in the brain called the habenula, also known as the disappointment nucleus. This suppresses the release of dopamine, a neuromodulator that makes you feel good. And, and dopamine actually acts as like an internal antidepressant. So people that are consistently getting light exposure and blue light blocking glasses don't matter. If you're getting light exposure during the past 11 p.m., it can lead to feelings of demotivation and depression. So I highly recommend that you avoid light exposure after the hours of 11 p.m. So at night, around eight o'clock, as you're starting to think about getting ready for bed, you need to start dimming the lights in your house. Something else that you should probably consider is turning off overhead lights. Why? Because these special cells in your eyes that sense the light from above you can't differentiate between an overhead light and the sun. And so overhead lights are like a signal to like be alert. So if I have to be on my computer um, late at night, I turn off all the lights in the house and I'll keep my computer on. I'll dim the screen. Also, exposure to sunset 
or 90 minutes, 60 minutes circus sunset before the sun, expose, exposure to that quality of light actually has a protective mechanism if you have to watch, you know, be exposed to light later in the night. Pretty interesting thing there. So uh, last thing, last big topic I want to talk about is napping. Okay. Uh, I love a good nap. Um, I know there's a lot of nap shaming out there in the hustle culture, but it's one of the best things you can do to boost mental and physical performance during the day. Number one, get consistent, restful and fulfilling sleep that's adequate in its quality and quantity, seven to nine hours. During the day, if you want to supercharge your afternoon, um, take a 15 to 30 minute nap. You don't have to fall asleep. Okay, to get the benefits because not it just takes 15 to 30 minutes to transition to sleep for some people. It's just closing your eyes, relaxing, and moving in that direction. Okay, uh, it boosts your mood, your cognitive performance, mood appropriate behaviors, meaning like you're able to adjust to those around you more appropriately, reduces fatigue, it improves sports performance. I can actually improve your speed. There's a lot of athletes to take our pregame nap like two hours before short nap optimal duration for me i highly recommend under 30 minutes you definitely want to keep it less than one ultradian cycle of 90 minutes because if you ever taken a nap that was like two and a half hours long late in the afternoon and you woke up and you're like what world am i in is this tomorrow you you're disoriented it's called sleep inertia and you definitely want to avoid that you want to avoid a nap you don't want to nap after 3 p.m so somewhere you know Right, you know, after lunch, you kind of have this circadian trough. That's what it's called, where you have like a dip in mental alertness. There's a reason why whole cultures in the world take a break, a siesta, because it's the thing that your body naturally is desiring a little bit of a break. So don't feel bad about it. Um, the army just released their new holistic, holistic health and fitness manual. And they are actually strongly recommending naps for soldiers. First of all, there's a whole section. You can Google this and get this thing. It's great work. Um, great. You know, they took some of the best scientists, including my friend, Dr. Allison Brager, who is on the podcast, uh, who's a neuroscientist for the army. And they did a bunch of research at Walter Reed in different places. And first of all, they're recommending seven plus hours of sleep a night. But during periods of restricted sleep, less than six hours, let's say you have a child Okay, new baby, and you definitely are not getting six hours of sleep. What can you do? You can nap in intervals of 15 to 30 minutes, 20 minutes throughout the day to try to make up some of that ground. Um, that is a fantastic tool. If, you know, consult with your doctor about this, if you're nursing, you know, caffeine intake. They also found that if you pair naps with caffeine, that you can actually have a real, I call it a nappuccino. So if you drink caffeine prior to a nap, so let's say you drink a eight ounce cup of cold coffee, just slam it. And then you take a nap. What happens during the day? There's pressure for sleep. Okay. I don't want to get into all this, but there's these models of pressure, like why this pressure builds up that you feel tired as the day goes on. One of the things that build up is this, is this molecule called adenosine. And as adenosine builds up during the day, you get more and more sleepy. And then when you go to bed at night, it reduces and then it builds up. 
Well, when you drink caffeine, it competes for adenosine receptors. So it blocks the effects of adenosine. And that's why you feel alert when you drink caffeine. That's one of the reasons why caffeine is also a central nervous system stimulant. So the army is recommending, they did a ton of research on this now, no more than 200 milligrams of caffeine. That's less than you're going to drink in a venti coffee. That's less than you're going to drink in one of these energy drinks, which by the way, are horrible for you. They're neurodegenerative research from the army uh, research with soldiers found that soldiers that drink two or more energy drinks a day actually have greater risk of depression and they actually have more fatigue. They're horrible for you. Dr. Brager is, you know, she, her, she, she's, she told me that the number one consumer of energy drinks in the world, cause she's seen the requisitions or the orders is the U S military. And it's just really crushing soldiers. Stay away from those things. So if you compare a nap with a little bit of caffeine, what's going to happen is, is you're going to wake up from the nap, getting the cognitive benefits of the nap and the caffeine's going to hit. So you're going to feel really alert and ready to go. It's counterintuitive, but it's phenomenal. Um, now, caffeine is only for temporary boost in alertness and performance. It does not re- replace sleep. It does not fully restore all cognitive abilities that are reduced because of sleep loss, but it is an effective tool if you need it to uh, get through a day. Let's, let's say you traveled somewhere and you didn't get enough sleep and you have a really important meeting. Take Close your eyes for 15 minutes. Have a little bit of caffeine. You're going to wake up feeling a lot better. So recap, we need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. What you do first thing in the morning impacts your evening sleep. Get up, get sun exposure in the morning, at least five to 10 minutes. If it's really broad outside, you know, five minutes may do it. You're going to feel more alert the more time you can spend out there. Have your breakfast outside. Our whole family goes outside in the morning, including our kids. And I've had people write in on social media telling me how they use this with their children as they were transitioning back to school to get them used to wake up in the morning and within about a week or so, they're feeling great. So use this for about 10 to 14 days. I promise you'll see the difference. Limit light exposure later in the day. If light wakes you up in the morning, you want to avoid it at night and you want to create the conditions for sleep using good sleep hygiene practices and naps are an excellent way to boost your mental performance during the day. I recommend it for everybody. If you can just like, as soon as you eat lunch, take a 15 minute, just close your eyes. You'll feel a lot better. I really appreciate your attention today. I really hope that this was a value add for you. We're going to be doing more things like this where we'll take a deep dive into some of the science and we'll give you practical tools that you can use. If you have ideas for things you want to learn, go into the Apple Podcast app, leave us a review, leave us a comment. We look at that stuff. We'll definitely uh, take it into consideration. We'll try to include it in further episodes. Thanks for your attention today and have a great one. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then you may want to check out my episode with Dr. John Sullivan. It was episode number 10. Dr. Sullivan is a sports scientist and clinical psychologist with over 20 years of scholarly experience, including 16 years with the New England Patriots. In this episode, we discussed his book, The Brain Always Wins. We discussed the drivers for performance and how to create a high performance environment. Thank you for listening today, and please feel free to send me any feedback on whatever listening platform you're listening on. 
Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.